Well, thank you so much. Good morning. As we gather together this morning in our study, we're turning once again to James, but we are reaching the conclusion of the book of James. I hope that it's ministered to your heart like it's ministered to mine, where I have continuously seen insight after insight in these verses that are very personal and practical in the way in which they connect with everyday living. And now in these final two verses, what we have before us is a statement that is made about how to minister to those who are prone to wander. Wander away from God. Wander away from the word of God. Wander away from the cross of Jesus Christ. So this morning, if you have anybody on your heart, and it could be a family member, could be a friend, colleague, student at school, someone in your circle, your heart's being tugged because wanderer seems to be the descriptive of that person's life experience. But what I want to do is to explore now these two verses with you and let God equip us to be prepared to minister to that heart that is shifting away from God and his grace. Because beginning of verse 19, you and I read, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That's very assuring, isn't it? It was a bright Sunday morning in London. But as the biographer points out, Robert Robinson's mood was anything but sunny. All along the street, there were people that were rushing to worship services. But in the midst of the crowd, Robinson was a lonely man. This morning, there may be lonely people in our midst. Keep that in mind. The sound of the church bells reminded him of years past, when his faith in God was strong, His church was an integral part of his life. But it had been years since he had set foot in a worship service. Years of wandering, disillusionment, and gradual defection from the God he once loved. That love of God which had been once fiery and passionate had slowly burned out within him, leaving him now dark and cold inside. Robinson heard the clip-clop of a horse-drawn cab approaching him. And turning, he lifted his hand to hail the driver, but when he saw that the cab was occupied by a young woman who was obviously heading toward a worship service, he began to back off. But the woman in the carriage ordered the carriage to be stopped. 
Sir, I'd be happy to share this carriage with you, she said to Robinson. Are you going to one of the worship services in the area? And Robinson was about to decline. Then he paused and said, yes, at last I'm going to church. And he stepped into the carriage, sat down beside her, and as the carriage rode toward Robert Robinson and the women, exchanged introductions, and there was this flash of recognition in her eyes when he stated his name. Well, that's an interesting coincidence, she said, reaching into her purse. And she withdrew a small book of inspirational verse and opened it to a ribbon mark, bookmark, handed the book to him. I was just reading a verse by a poet named Robert Robinson. Could it be? He took the book, nodding, and said, Yes, I wrote these words many years ago. Wonderful, she said. Imagine that I'm sharing a carriage with Robert Robinson. But Robinson barely heard her. Biographer tells us he was absorbed in the words he had once written. They were words that would one day be set to music that people sing even today. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never cease and call for songs of loudest praise. But you see his eyes slipped to the bottom of the page where he read, Prone to wander, Lord I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, I'll take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. He could barely read the last few lines. Tears were brimming up inside his eyes. I wrote these words. I've lived these words. Prone to wander. Prone to leave the God I love. The young woman suddenly understood. But Mr. Robinson, you also wrote, Here's my heart, I'll take and seal it. You can offer your heart again to God, Mr. Robinson. It's not too late. And it wasn't. Because in that moment of God's sovereign planning, his heart was turned back to God, and he walked with him the rest of his days. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Wandering is mentioned not just once, but twice in these verses. Because of our natural sinful tendency... Our inclination is to move away from God, not to move toward God. What I want to do with you in these moments together now is to extract from these last two verses in the book of James four significant factors that pertain to wandering. And if you have a wanderer in your home, if you have a wanderer in your circles of relationships, If your natural tendency right now is to gradually move away from God, 
rather than to be moving toward God. I want you to check these out and relate them to everyday life. The first factor I'm going to draw out here has to do with the beginning of verse 19. The number one, when wandering occurs, I want you to note with me, first of all, the believers among whom the wanderer is associated. Now, if you look carefully at the beginning of verse 19, he uses this typical phrase, very relational, very connected, James is, my brothers. What interests me and interests you at this point is that that is how he began this book, and now this is how he ends this book. In verse 2 of the very first chapter, He looks at you and he looks at me and all the people that are facing trials in life and need to allow for God's truth to shape our view of our trials rather than our trials to shape our view of God's truth. Here's what he says. Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials, not if, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and so on. So now he is writing to people who are going through intense trials. And most likely, because of those trials, there are going to be some individuals that might be saying, but where are you, God, in the midst of all this? Not taking into account, he used the phrase, when you face trials. Not if. And so all throughout now his writings, again and again and again, he's engaging with you. He's saying, my brothers, he wants you to know how connected he is with you and how much this is part of the life experience that you and I need to be able to anticipate. But that is not all. If anyone among you wanders, he says, pause. Did you notice he says, if anyone among you, and does not say, if anyone of you, wanders? What I want you to see here is that James, throughout his writings, has warned us that there will be, within the large gathering of people and worship services and so on, those who are among us, but not necessarily those who are of us. He has been addressing people who have faith, but a dead faith, rather than those who have a living faith. He's been distinguishing for us artificial faith, which is dead, versus authentic faith, which is alive, which is yours. Both would be described as faith. But those who have a dead faith are those who are simply religious unbelievers who find themselves among us rather than biblically oriented, committed followers of Jesus Christ who are truly of us, which is you. There is an incredible statement made by John the Apostle. We're in John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. He wrote, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. 
But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. God breaks it down into the smallest details to remind you and to remind me that it's very possible to be religious yet an unbeliever, very possible to be among us and not of us. And now James, as he has addressed the dead versus living faith, the artificial versus the authentic faith, is crystallizing these thoughts for you and for me. And now we have to start taking these things to heart. Am I simply content to be one who is among versus truly committed to be that which is of? The buzzword so often across the country today is to be part of a community, isn't it? But what fascinates me is that in the scriptures, God speaks of us as to be part of a fellowship. It's very possible to be among but not of to be part of the community, but not in the fellowship. So what God is doing through the writings of James at this point is that he's causing you and me surgically to begin to evaluate very carefully how to distinguish the artificial from the authentic and not get so carried away that we can't diagnose our own hearts in the process. Now notice the word wanders here. It comes from a Greek word of which we get the word in English, planet. In other words, this is somebody who is prone to wander across the planet of life. And I thought about that when I was reading in Genesis in these past days. find myself in Genesis again and again and again. And there was this point where in Genesis chapter 4, the Lord said, what have you done to this man known as Cain? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it shall be no longer to yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Now, the modern-day buzz phrase tends to be, I'm on my spiritual journey. And what we have is a collection of wanderers who are basically spiritualizing their planet of wandering, recreating their own reality of what Christianity is all about. But what we have to understand is that this is artificial rather than authentic. It might be very spiritual, but it is not scriptural. And so what we find is that from the earliest stages of human history, here is an individual who of all things had been attempting to be a worshiper. He had brought his offering, so to speak, to God. But he came to God on his terms rather than coming to God on God's terms, wanting to do God's will his way, and as a result became a spiritual wanderer, a fugitive from God's will. You find yourself in that condition this morning. Generally speaking, the matter of wandering is a matter that begins in the realm of the internal. And furthermore, not only internal, but is marked by that which is gradual 
Now, it might appear rather sudden to you and me when it happens to someone, when they simply depart from what they claim to be their faith. But a dead faith, not a living faith, artificial, not authentic. For as Paul would write with regard to a man by the name of Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And when you experience a desertion on your hands, understand the spiritual ramifications that are involved and the internal processing that has most likely taken place to get to this point as they move further and further from the source of grace. You've heard the story. One man landed a job painting the yellow line down the center of the highway. He did it by hand, and after three days, the foreman said to him, your first day out, you did great. Painted that line for three miles. Your second day wasn't bad, you painted two miles. But today you only painted one mile, so it looks like I'm going to have to let you go. And on his way out of the office, the employee looked back and said, It's not my fault. Every day I got further away from the paint can. He was putting in effort, wasn't he? Furthermore, he used the phrase which is typical of our culture, ain't my fault. But you see, what we have here is we move ourselves further and further away from the source is a decreasing ability to create distinguishing yellow lines for society. Take that one step further and you realize the collisions of life that can occur as a result when the yellow line gets faded on the traffic of life. And so now, here we find this individual. And what we note here is that God, through the writing of James, is speaking to the family of faith, and he's saying, make certain that you are able to distinguish those who are of rather than merely those who are among you. It is possible to be religious, but not saved. Watch how this gets carried out daily in the decision-making of life. Does the yellow line fade in the matter of integrity, in the matters of truth-telling, in the matters of authenticity as it relates to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Or is there a matter of artificiality about spirituality and then the yellow line fades all the more, you see? And the Demas factor stands out. Now, there's a second factor I want to draw out from the phrasing that's found here in these two verses. The number two, when wandering occurs, I want you to note with me now the truth from which the wanderer has departed. The truth from which the wanderer has departed. And note the phrase, from the truth. We continue to work phrase by phrase through the scriptures. Now, when you and I look at that, we've got to now connect our first factor with the second factor. We see the believers. They are to be people who are committed to the truth. 
the religious unbeliever as well as the secular unbeliever may be committed to some alternative than the truth. And so what we've got to understand is that by God's grace, when you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, it's because the work of the Holy Spirit has you moving toward the truth. Our natural human sinful tendency is to move away from the truth. It is the responsibility of churches to be committed to being in the truth, which is why, again, we work through the truth week by week by week. You'll notice how in the Older Testament, the whole matter of truth came to the forefront in the Garden of Eden, which was was a very culturally acceptable setting to find oneself in, to embrace truth. But slowly but surely, the one who is the evil one subtly began to encroach upon the spiritual mindset of Eve till she reached the point of beginning to question what God had already said. This is a matter of truth versus error. Note the gradualness of a man such as Solomon, where in his earliest of days, the Israelites would certainly say he is one who is of God's people but through a series of decisions began to reveal the internal processes of his own heart longings. And there is a gradualness that occurs until in the final stages, as described in in the book of 1 Kings, we find that he has departed from the ways and the will of God. What has happened here at this point? Distinguish between the of versus the among. There was a King Saul prior to Solomon who, when people looked at him, were struck by all the outward uh, attributes that he had. But as God would remind Samuel, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And God distinguishes between the internal and the externals and understands the of versus the among, the artificial versus the authentic. Stay close to the paint can. Truth is there. Aren't you amazed? I am. Jesus is ministering. He's ministering profoundly, effectively, conclusively. And we are told in John chapter 6, verse 60, many of his disciples heard what he had to say, and they said, this is hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Evidently some did. Because we are informed in John 6, verses 66, after this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They were among the followers. They were not of the followers. There's something here that's happened that captures your attention and mine. Oskinus. In the book, No God But God, listen to these words. It is truth that gives relevance to relevance. Just as relevance becomes irrelevant, if it is not related to truth. Let me say it again. It is truth that gives relevance to relevance. 
just as relevance becomes irrelevant if it is not related to truth. This is an important caution to remember the more so in this postmodernist mindset where truth is displaced by relevance. It's very possible not only to have wandering people among believers, it is possible to have a wandering church that is more committed to relevance than it is to truth and substitutes relevance for truth, not recognizing how relevant is truth as it substitutes technique for truth, adds another layer of polish to make it look good. Marie Chapion, in her book, of whom the world was not worthy, tells of an evangelist named Yakov who was witnessing to an older man by the name of Zimmerman, Russia, who knew a great deal about the church there and the politics and despised hypocrisy. And when Yakov talked to him about the love of Jesus, Zimmerman said, don't talk to me about Christ. You see those priests there with their vestments, cloaks, and big crosses on their chests. I know what they're like. They're violent people. They've abused power. Don't tell me about Christ. I know what it is like to watch them kill our people, even some of our own relatives. Yakov paused for a moment and then said, Simmerman, may I ask you a question? What if I stole your coat and boots, put them on, broke into a bank and took the money? I was chased by the police, by uh, I outran them. What would you say if the police came knocking on your door and charged you with breaking into a bank? Zimmerman said, I would deny it because I did not do it. Ah. But what if they say that they recognized your coat and your boots from a distance? You had to have broken into the bank. Yakov, leave me alone. I know what you're driving at. I do not want to get involved in this discussion. Yakov went away, but he kept coming back, only to live the love of Christ before him, till finally one day Zimmerman said, Yakov, tell me about this Jesus you love and live for. How can I know him? And Yakov told him how to commit his life to Christ. And Zimmerman knelt down on the dust outside his home with Yakov, received Christ into his life, stood up, embraced Yakov, and said, Thank you for being in my life. You wear his coat very well. We don't wear the coat of the culture. We don't even wear the coat of the church culture. We are called to wear the coat of Christ. And that's what gets the attention of the people who are looking for authenticity in an artificial world and then become cynical when they spot wanderers. Because the unbeliever can't distinguish between those who are among and those who are of. Everybody gets lumped together. The challenge for the unbeliever is this. 
the believers got to be able somehow, some way, in some form, to be able to make such a distinction to point out there's a difference between Christianity. There's a difference between Christians and Christ. Because if even every Christian were a hypocrite, your responsibility then would be to prove that Christ was. But three days later, he was raised from the dead. You see, the media cannot distinguish between the among versus the of and groups them all together. We can't afford to do that, can we? So now what we need to do is to think this through even further. And so there's a third significant factor here. The number three, when wandering occurs, I want you to note with me the interventionist. In other words, the rescuer. Lord willing, you're one of them. Through whom the wanderer is restored. And you say, well, Gary, where do you get that? Well, we're committed to truth. So notice the next phrasing, from the truth. And someone brings him back. That's the interventionist, the him. Let him, that's the interventionist again, know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering, dot, 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 and notice that the word bring back here is from a Greek word where we get the idea of repentance from. Repentance. Which carries with it the idea of a turnaround. So someone brings him back. And so you then, if you love Jesus and are of rather than merely among, you are called then to be an instrument, an agent of grace, reaching those who may look the part, but are not of the part, and showing them what the true part entails, being part of the family of faith, not merely looking like you are part of that family. World Magazine. Marvin Olasky writes, as we approach baseball's postseason, I remember serving two decades ago as first base coach of a team with 11 and 12-year-olds. One task was to remind players who got a single or a walk to keep their heads in the game, which meant not wandering off first base and falling victim to a playoff, pickoff play. Problem? Sometimes my mind wandered, and twice during the season, a player under my charge headed back to the dugout, sputtering. And so now what we have to do is to be so mentally engaged that we are able to distinguish this tendency to be of versus among. Because even in the Garden of Eden, Eve seemed to lack the capacity to distinguish the of versus the among. When this one known as the serpent is more crafty than all the rest of the creation. So we equip ourselves with truth to distinguish. And so let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So look very carefully now. Let him know that's you, that's me, if we are the of people rather than the among people. So we are called to bring back a sinner from his wandering. Those are the among people. And when you and I reach that point, we are able then to embrace what it is that God's called us to, 
to establish rescue missions because the culture can't distinguish between the ob and the among. Earl Miller tells the story of two men who grew up best friends. And though Jim was just a little older than Philip and often assumed the role of leader, they did everything together. They even went to high school and college together. And after college, they joined the Marines and by a unique set of circumstances were sent to Germany together where they fought side by side in one of history's ugliest wars. But one sweltering day during a fierce battle amid heavy gunfire, bombing, close quarters combat, they were given the command to retreat. And as the men were running back, Jim noticed that Philip had not returned with the others. He had wandered off. Panic gripped his heart. Jim knew if Philip was not back in another minute, then he wouldn't make it. Jim begged his commanding officer to let him go after his friend. The officer forbade the request, saying this would be suicide, but risking his own life. Jim disobeyed and went after Philip, heart pounding. He ran into the gunfire and calling out for Philip. A short time later, Miller tells us, his platoon saw him hobbling across the field, carrying a limp body in his arms. Jim's commanding officer abraded him, shouting that it was a foolish waste of time and life and an outrageous risk. Your friend is dead, he added. There was nothing that you could do. No, sir. You are wrong, Jim replied. I got there just in time. Before he died, his last words were, I knew you would come. Family, there's a lot of people that are waiting for you to come. We gather to scatter. And over the course of the Mondays through Saturdays of our life, there are wanderers in your workplace. There are wanderers in your family circles. There are wanderers in your neighborhood. The astounding thing is that in love, when you approach them and re-engage them with first principles of truth and the shed blood of the cross, don't be surprised if somewhere along the way you hear the words, I knew you would come. Because they see authenticity in you. And they're so tired of the artificiality of their lives. There is a difference between dead faith and living faith. Which leads us naturally then to this fourth and final factor. That when wandering occurs, I want you to note with me the danger from which the wanderer is protected. You want to keep that person, protect that person from what's described here because you'll save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins, all those sins pertaining to that whole idea of being lost, eternally separated, you see, from God. So you look at the threat, and you know the path that they're on and the destination that they are heading toward. And you are so overwhelmed with the fact that the Bible is true. 
And there is such a thing not only as physical death, but also eternal death as well. And so you position yourself, and you re-engage with that person. And you are able to say, yeah, it's a faith, but it's a dead faith rather than a living faith. It's artificial rather than authentic, though it can look like the real thing. And that there is a difference between among versus of. And as you process that, and as you think about that, your mind goes back to a man who had pen thoughts, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, I'll take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. He was able to write those words. Yet he was living out that whole phrase, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love, when a rescuer. An interventionist who was simply heading in the direction she felt she was called for that time of that day of that week pauses, invites him to come into her life experience, engages conversationally. She understands. And as the tears are brimming within his eyes, she also adds, Mr. Robinson, you penned, here's my heart, will take and seal it. You can offer your heart again to God, Mr. Robinson. It's not too late. And it's not too late. And the artificial becomes authentic. What is dead becomes alive. Because we stop in our pilgrimage of life. And we enter into relationship with others. And we bring them back to the one they're meant to love. You got a rescue mission this week. You're called to be an interventionist. Sleeves rolled up. Let's march forward. Thank you for studying James with me. Let's stand forward to prayer. Praising you, thanking you, Father, for all that's occurring through the wonderful people in this wonderful, wonderful church. Internally, we know that there's always going to be those who are among, blended in with all those who are of. Speak to the heart of the one who's simply settled for being part of the among. And show them that that's five minutes off the hour of authenticity. And they need to get right with you. And for all those who thus far have passively been watching wanderers make their way across the planet of their lives, show us now the responsibility we have to be gracious interventionists. I knew you would come. Those are the words we long to hear. By your grace now, help us to get involved for your glory. So we give all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.